Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. It is Wednesday evening, May the May the 24th. We have two more classes left, and that's it. Welcome to chapter 20. Does anybody here, would anybody here like to teach chapter 20 tonight? Chapter 20 is one of the strangest chapters in the book of Revelation. It actually brings up more questions than it answers, actually. So we'll have a little discussion on some of those some of those points tonight. I would like to go over this chart again about premillennialism because it's been a while since we've talked about it and we're actually going to be discussing some of these steps tonight. This is Tim LaHaye's. You ask a hundred premillennialists what their doctrine is, you're going to get a hundred different answers. So with premillennialism, we pretty much have to stay at a high level like this chart is. There are three paths through this chart. You, going up the top line, you can be raptured. Going down the bottom line, you can be lost. Or, if God isn't quite sure what to do with you, according to premillennialist, you can take the middle, the, the second line, which is going through the tribulation period. Now, if you're raptured, you're going along the top line. You'll go to the judgment seat of Christ, the marriage of the Lamb, and the second coming. If you go the bottom route, if you're just a really, really bad person, you'll go the bottom route, which is, they call Hades. I'm not exactly sure. Different people use that word different ways. Think of it more as torment. If you weren't a really good person and you were therefore raptured, but you're not a really bad person, so you're not sent to torment. According to premillennialists, you're going to go in the afterlife to something called the tribulation period. Now, you may be there three and a half years, seven years, or as long as it takes for God to scrub you clean enough to go into the thousand-year reign, and then, after that, heaven. Now, everybody meets again. Let me uh, get my highlighter turned on here. Everybody is going to meet at the pre, at the millennium, at the thousand-year reign. Part of the premillennialistic doctrine says that all these saints will meet in, in, in the millennium. The ones who are scrubbed clean in the tribulation will be there as well. Well, how can you reign with Jesus for a thousand years if you have no one to reign over? Therefore, premillennialists, a lot of them are saying, well, stop it. Well, the bad guys from Hades are going to come and join us. And those are the ones that the saints are going to reign over. Once the, the thousand-year reign is over, then everyone is going to be separated. Some are going to be going to heaven for eternity. The others are going to be going to hell for an eternity. And that's immediately following the thousand-year reign. Now that's just a that's just a real fast overview of what the different steps are. 
We're going to get in a little bit to the thousand-year reign tonight. We're going to see what Revelation says about the thousand-year reign and how, in fact, the premillennialist doctrine of the thousand-year reign actually contradicts Revelation chapter 20. No big surprise there, but it does. Okay, that was a fast overview. Now, we, um, being a new chapter, we need to read it. So, Brother Glenn, will you go ahead and start us off, please? Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and, not re- and, <clears throat> and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and false prophets are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever." Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away, and there was no found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up death, up the dead who were in them, and they were judged each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Thank you. Any volunteers? No volunteers. To teach this. This, this chapter raises more questions than I have answers for. But it is some interesting questions, and it's questions that you can research, but it just takes half a lifetime probably to research them. There are five topics in chapter 20. Satan being bound, the thousand years, the first resurrection, Gog and Magog, and then finally Judgment Day. So let's get started with Satan being bound. Verses 1 through 3 
We have in verse 2, Satan being bound so that he will not deceive the nations any longer. That word bind, the Greek word is E-D-E-S-E-N. In my personal opinion, and it's just an opinion, I probably a better a better translation of that word is not bound, it's more constrained. And you'll see why I say so in, in, in a moment. But think of being bound as being as being constrained. The Greek word means bind, bound, forbid, prohibit, constrain, and compel. Okay. This is important because we're going to get to this in just a moment. He is bound, he is constrained, so that he does not deceive the nations for a period of time. Okay? Okay. If you will look in BibleHub.com, go to Revelation chapter 5, verse 1, where it talks about this, this, the, the scroll with the seven seals on it. That word seal will have a reference note to look at the same Greek word as sealed upon him in verse 3. So those two ideas are the same. The concept is that it is a stamp with a signet ring for, for security purposes. Now notice, Satan is going to be constrained. He's going to be chained, quote-unquote. You'll, you'll find people online have a real problem with that idea of chaining Satan. They're saying, how can you chain Satan? That's one of the reasons I say probably constrain is a better, is a better term instead of chain. Um, we're going to find that that's actually not the first time that God has constrained Satan. When's another time that you can think of when, when God constrains Satan? The one I'm thinking about is in the Old Testament with Job. It's interesting, God said, you can do this, you cannot do that. And interestingly enough, Satan had no choice but to obey. So the idea of God constraining Satan is nothing new in the Bible. Okay, we're going to head to the thousand-year reign now. In a moment, we're going to tie all this together. And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them... And judgment was given to them, and I saw the souls of those who were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, the word of God, who did not worship the beast, not his image, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. That word reign, it basically means to exercise dominion over. Um, let's, let's try to think of reign in that terms. Don't think of reign as in a kingdom, okay? Because there is nowhere in Revelation chapter 20 that says any new kingdom is going to be set up, okay? Not on earth, not a new one in heaven. So the idea is that, that whoever is in the thousand year reign is going to exercise dominion over evil, or in this case, over Satan. Um, So where is the thousand-year reign going to occur? Hmm? Yeah, that's so close, I can't say no. It's going to be in heaven. It's going to be in heaven. There is, there is no, no mention in chapter 20 of these saints being moved to another location. 
There is no indication that Jesus is going to go to another location for this thousand-year reign. It just says that the souls that were beheaded in the tribulation are going to reign with Christ a thousand years in paradise. Yeah, in heaven. I agree. Okay? Now, who is going to exercise that judgment? Who is judgment given to? And here we go again. We've mentioned this on a couple other verses before, and here it happens again. We have some translations that are putting words into the text that actually does not appear in the original Greek. And in this case, it does change the meaning. The words are, I saw. If you look at those eight references at the bottom of the slide. I searched through all kinds of Greek texts, trying to find a Greek text that actually contained the word I saw. And I didn't find any. The ones I looked at were BibleHub.com, BibleStudyTools.com, GreekBible.com, LaParola.net, ScriptureForAll.org, Academic-Bible.com, Sacred text.com, Young's Literal Translation. And actually, I, I, I eventually stopped my search because I was running out of time. I didn't have time to search anymore. I, I hope to eventually get back to that search. I don't know if some Greek text contained it and some didn't. I have not found the ones that do contain it. But that does make a difference in the, in the, in the actual meaning of the verse. Now, 32 translations contain the words, I saw the souls of them who were beheaded. Ten do not. Question is, why? Don't know. Here is the actual Greek text using Greek uh, grammar from BibleHub.com for this verse. It says, And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given to them and the souls of those who have been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus and the Word of God, on and on and on. You see the difference? The previous verse said, stopped. Some have periods. I think uh, this New King James Version has a period with a capital A, and I saw. Others put a semicolon there. But if you have the words, and I saw the souls, that does not necessarily mean that they were on these thrones, and it does not necessarily mean that judgment was given to them. If you go with the Greek text, it looks like judgment was given to them. Does that make sense? Does anybody want to comment on that one before we, before we move on? Take you this row and then the next one. Yes, sir. I guess I'm just missing how that changes the meaning. Okay, we'll get that in a second. Yes, sir. Well, when you have an and in a sentence, it's not uncommon for them to insert uh, the verb uh, like I saw when he had, when it has and in the middle of the sentence. So I saw just to for clarification and. Translation, But that actually, to me, that makes it a little more confusing. And I saw, does that mean they were or were not given judgment? 
does that mean they were or were not on the thrones? And how that, make, how that makes a difference? Let's go back to the previous slide. It says, And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them, period. And I saw the souls of those who were beheaded for the witness of Jesus. Okay? That's with I saw. Without that, from the Greek text, it says, And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given to them and the souls of those who had been beheaded. Okay. A light bulb just went off. Okay. You see the difference? So which one is, is, which one is correct? I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I've, I'm going to have to take, I'm going to have to do a lot more research on it than I've done. But that, that's an interesting little homework assignment for you. Find out where the words I saw came from. Because that does make a difference. Okay. So, from this verse, from the Greek version of this verse, what can we, what can we derive? Well, we know that the saints, we know that the saints that were murdered in the tribulation are in the thousand year reign. And they're reigning in the sense that number one, God avenges their blood. Evil's going to be repaid. Number two, Satan is going to be constrained for an indeterminate amount of time. The word thousand is used. And it looks like from the Greek text that the saints are going to assist Christ in judgment against, against Satan. Is that possible? That's a good question. If it is possible, how, how can they do something like that? Well, I'm not saying that they're sitting up there waiting for the second coming of Christ so that things start judging people coming, coming through the line. What I am saying is this. It is possible. How do, the, how do the saints assist in judgment? Well, their lives and their deaths are assisting in this judgment of evil. They are basically witnesses for the prosecution. Remember I told you that Revelation was laid out like a court case against evil, against the villain of Revelation. And as a result, basically against all evil. These saints are basically witnesses for the prosecution. They are evidence against evil. Their witness is going to cause constraining evil, constraining, constraining Satan. Years and years and years and years ago, I heard a sermon one time, and I cannot remember where or who it was. It's been 20, 30 years ago. But number four, the righteousness of these saints is a judgment against evil itself. Have you ever thought about your righteousness being a judgment against evil? Look at these Look at these saints and take me for an example. Okay, let's compare my life to the life of the saints. There is no comparison. Those saints went through so much more than I've ever gone through. If somebody hurts my feelings, I say, okay, I'm quitting church. I'm not going back ever again. I don't care about God. I'm going to stay home and I'm going to sleep late on Sundays and I'm going to go to the lake on Wednesday nights. The people who are still here who are still righteous before God, the saints' righteousness is a judgment against me because I rejected what they continued to, to suffer with and continue with God. Does that, does that make sense? Yes, sir. 
Thank you. Yes. Yeah. That's good. It comes from God. It's a gift of God. Remember Brother Ede's uh, Bible class about two or three weeks ago? Right. It, um, if you ever get a chance to, go to your favorite search engine and do a word search, do a study search on the words imputed righteousness. That gets into that subject very deeply. Yes, it is given to us. It's not because of, because we're so wonderful. It is, right, right. It is a gift of God. Yes, yeah. But, but why is it a gift from God? It's because we are walking in the light as He is in the light. It's because we are staying faithful. Yeah, it's because we're staying faithful regardless of what happens around us. If I give up and I quit, and you're having a difficult life, but you're staying faithful, your righteousness is a judgment against me, just like, just like Noah's. Yeah. So that's a fourth way that these, that these saints could have assisted Jesus in judgment of evil, in judgment of Satan, causing him to be constrained for a certain amount of time. Yes, sir. Right. And so his resurrection was a judgment. These, these saints who were beheaded uh, under the influence of Satan, mm-hmm. and uh, no doubt he thought he was putting them in the grave, and yet if they are present there when the judgment is, is set against them, they are a witness or they are judging them in a sense that they've been raised from the dead. Yep. And I'm glad you mentioned that because we're actually going to get into that just a little bit in just a moment. Yes, we're going to get into the first resurrection, second resurrection, that that thing. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Yeah, you're right. Now remember, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, we're wrestling against principalities and powers. This is not a physical fight. It is a spiritual fight, okay? Revelation uses spiritual fights and wars and battles to represent the spiritual. It always uses the physical to represent the spiritual. So, and premillennialists get hung up on that. They, they can't handle that. They, they just don't see it or won't see it for one, one reason or another. Okay, any more comments on that before we move on? Now, whether the saints are actually going to sit there and start judging people, I don't think Revelation says that. But they, they can be, they can be part of this thousand year reign, this judgment can be given to them in the, in these four manners. Now, question. If Satan was constrained during the second century, right after the, 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 the worst of the persecution, the most severe part of the persecution was over, did that constraining benefit the church? Well, we have historical records that the church did indeed grow during the second century after, after the most severe part of the persecution ended, and that was with the death of, of the mission. It, there was still persecution, though, but the persecution lessened. Was that lessening a result of Satan being constrained? I don't know. I don't know the time period in which 
the thousand-year reign, quote-unquote, actually occurred. I don't know the time period in which Satan was constrained. But it is interesting that you, it's mentioned with these saints who came out of the tribulation at the end of Domitian Caesar's reign, starting with Nero. And now we're talking about the church, we're talking about Satan being constrained, and now the church is growing. It just seems, seems an interesting coincidence to me. I, I don't know if you can put a time, a, a, a timeline on that like that. But if you say it is, I won't argue with you. Because it is an interesting coincidence. Let's talk about the first resurrection. Verse 5, but the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Uh, blessed and holy is he, blessed and holy is he that hath part of the first resurrection because the second death would not have power over them. If you do a word search, and I did this using strong, a, a hard copy of Strong's Concordance, you look for the, the actual words, second resurrection. You won't find that in the book, in the Bible anywhere. If you do a search on third resurrection, you will not find those words in the Bible that I know of. Does anybody know of where the words second resurrection and third resurrection are mentioned? I don't know of one. Now, what do we know about this first resurrection? Well, not much, actually. Those in the first resurrection, number one, the souls of the beheaded saints are participating in it. Those of the first resurrection, they will reign with Christ for a thousand years. And those in the first resurrection, the second death will have no power over them. That's not a whole lot of clues as to what exactly the first resurrection is. So, let's take a look where the Bible talks about resurrection other places. 1 Corinthians 15, 23, Jesus is the first fruit of resurrection. Acts 26, 23, Jesus is the first to rise from the dead. John chapter 11, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, when Jesus was on the cross and he was talking to that one thief who said, remember me when you come in your kingdom, what did Jesus say? He says, you're going to be with me in paradise. Jesus' destination after the cross was paradise. Does that mean that the first resurrection might be the souls that are taken to the paradise? Or is the first resurrection only associated with these murdered saints? I don't think we have the answer to that. So, yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah, he's a, he is. I don't want. I don't know if I can go as far. I'll ask Brother Glenn. Can I go as far as saying Jesus is the first resurrection? I don't know if I can say that or not.
He is the first fruits of the resurrection. Yes. But remember, remember Brother Glenn's um, sermon three or four weeks ago about the rich man and Lazarus. You're alive. A split second after you're dead here, you're alive there. Is that a resurrection or is resurrection only when Jesus comes again? Yeah, so is the first resurrection? Well, we know these murdered saints that are in paradise right now. We know they're a part of this first resurrection, whatever it is. Is it souls being taken to paradise, or is it just reserved for these, these murdered saints? It gets even more interesting, though. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. Let's go ahead and just go verse 15. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord... They which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven and with a great shout and with the voice of archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall be with him forever. Question. When I read Revelation chapter 20 and I start reading about the first resurrection, quote-unquote, am I supposed to be reading that verse in Revelation as a standalone verse? Or do I need to read it in conjunction with these verses? By the way, that word prevent in in verse 5 uh, for this we say unto you by the word of God, word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. 1611 language is getting in our way again. It, it was probably fine back then. It means something different today. If you will actually look at that Greek word, you, the, the King James, the New King James translates it better. It's not prevent, it's precede. Precede, for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord will not precede them which are asleep. So does that mean that the souls that are in paradise, that is the first resurrection? Right. Right. But is it, yeah, you're right. That means paradise, right? Okay, is paradise the first resurrection? Just curious what this verse in Revelation is meaning. That, 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 that's the only reason it matters. Yeah. Okay, the two possibilities. Okay. Same hour. Um, does chapter does First Thessalonians chapter four verses fifteen through seven, seventeen? Does that give us an order with respect to the souls who are evil? Where, 
This doesn't mention when the souls of the evil are going to be raised. And I'm wondering where that, where that order is. Because the reason I ask is because the two possibilities on this first, second, and third, if there really is a first, second, and third, one possibility, and I, I apologize for saying possibilities. I usually don't like to do that with Revelation, but I don't have a choice to this time. First resurrection are the deceased faithful souls in paradise. The second one is those still living on earth. That's 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. But if we, if we look at Revelation and we say that's the first res- resurrection, then the order is this. The first resurrection are the saints who were murdered in the tribulation. And they, uh, their resurrection occurred in Revelation. And then the second is the deceased souls in paradise and the living who are still faithful on earth. Let's start. If there's a second revelation with the faithful souls on earth, how in second period three is the earth going to be destroyed if the people still be here on earth if the earth is destroyed? Well, when I, I believe when, when Jesus returns to this earth, the earth obviously is going to be here, and that's when he collects everybody. He's, I think Revelation calls it reaping the earth. And then after that, sometime after that, that's when the earth is going to be destroyed. But yeah, when Jesus comes on the second coming, uh, the earth's going to be here. In fact, he's going to be, he's going to be riding in a cloud and surrounded by clouds. So yeah, the environment, everything is still here. Yes. I don't know how much to read into this idea of a first resurrection in in the book of Revelation. I, I don't know what to do with that. Um, it could go several different ways, and I'm not even sure if those several different ways are even correct. Now, the premillennialists have their, played their games with that word, with that phrase, but I, I'm not sure exactly what that means. Yes? Did everybody hear the question? Um, chapter 20, verse 4. Let me back up here. And I saw the thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given and the, to them and the souls which were beheaded. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. And then it goes into verse 5, if I can get there. It says, but the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. I don't know. This sounds like this has something to do with those murdered saints who were asking God to avenge their death. I don't know. Good question. That's why I was telling you in the beginning, this, this chapter raises more questions than it actually answers. Okay, where did I get to? Okay, there. We got to that. Okay. The two possibilities? Boy, that's a stumper. There just isn't enough information in Revelation to give us a good bearing to come up with any definitive answers on exactly what that first resurrection is. 
You can step out on a limb if you wanted to. I don't know if I would do this or not, but you can step out on a limb and say, well, you know, God is in charge of resurrections, period. It could have been he brought them from paradise into heaven, just like a resurrection, an actual resurrection, in, in order to help present the case against evil and then put them back in paradise. I don't know. I don't know. There are so many possibilities and there just isn't enough information. So I'm not, I'm not even sure what direction to go in that verse. Okay. And here we go again. But the rest of the dead lived not until the thousand year reign were finished. Let's go back to Greek. At this, at this website here at the bottom, it talks about that phrase. Apparently, that phrase is found in some Greek texts and not in others. So the question is, does it even belong there? Should it even be there? I don't know. That's another one of those research questions that's going to take probably half a lifetime to figure out. It is by far the most difficult to understand. I have no earthly idea what that phrase means. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. Is that talking about the souls? Is that talking about people on earth? Is that just symbolism for something that totally over my head? Yes, sir. Yeah, it's also physical death. Yeah, spiritual death or physical death, yeah. And you usually have to figure out which one. True, true. The rest of the dead live... Well, whoever whoever those dead... I see what you're saying, yeah. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I don't know. I don't know which dead he's talking about, literally or figuratively. Just one, just the part that's in red, the, the part that says, "But the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years were finished." The confusing part, which is fine with me, I'll, I'll plead ignorance because it's not supposed to be there. Yeah, okay, I can live with that. Interesting word used in this website link. It's called maliciously dash inserted. Slash delay. Maliciously inserted, really? Okay, I don't, I don't know if I would go that far. But it is interesting that some Greek texts have some things in it that others, other texts do not. Um, the reason I wanted to go over the premillennialist chart again, the premillennialist interpretation of the rest of the dead are the souls of the evil dead. That answers the question that you asked. They, they, they say it's the souls of the evil, the ones in Hades or in torment. And that the ones in the first resurrection are all the souls of the faithful, not just the ones that died in the tribulation, which is contradicting verse 4. Uh, premillennialism contradicts itself big time here. They say that, that the first resurrection is for all, ooh, ouch, for all faithful souls. We know from verse 4 that it's only the souls of the beheaded saints that are in this first resurrection 
So they've got that wrong. They also say that the evil spirits in Hades are going to join in the thousand-year reign because the saints in the thousand-year reign have to have somebody to, to reign over, right? Verse 4 says only the only souls involved are going to be the souls of the beheaded saints. So, so once again, once again, uh, premillennialism just goes off the rails totally on, on this verse. Wow, that, that went by fast. Gog and Magog. Let's see how, 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 how quickly we can get through Gog and Magog. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Gog and Magog. You're going to have historians that disagree on this. They, they're not exactly sure where to put Gog, Magog, Meshchik, uh, and Tubal. It is believed that Rosh is northern Russia. It is believed that the Magogs are in the southern part of Russia, and Meshchik is over somewhere north in the northern area of the Black Sea. This is from the Old Testament, and Tubal is somewhere in central Turkey. Gog and Magog are used in the book of Revelation to represent God's, God's enemies. If you will look in Psalm chapter 120, verse 5, Mechik and Tubal are referenced as barbarians. They hate peace, and they're enemies of God. In the book of Revelation, when you see Gog and Magog, it's simply the enemies of God. Now, Gog is not apparently not a country. Magog is a territory. Gog is from the land of Magog. He is the chief prince of Mechik and Tubal. Now, First 1 Chronicles 1.5, you have Magog, Mechik, and Tabak. I don't know how to pronounce those. Those three mentioned. Uh, the New King James Version adds the word Rosh in there as well. Um, Magog, Mechik, and Tabal are the sons of Japheth, which makes them the grandsons of Noah. And apparently in the Old Testament, they were always trouble. They were always trouble for God's people. They are used in the Old Testament to, well, they're mentioned in the Old Testament as being enemies of God, enemies of Israel. And in the New Testament in Revelation, it is used for this fight that is going on between God and evil. So Gog and Magog, premillennialists, you're gonna, you're gonna find premillennialists wants to, wants to assign names to these people. They want to say, they want to say that Rosh is Russia coming to invade Israel, uh, Mechik and Magog. Magog is actually more over in Kazakhstan. But it's still kings of the east. Kings of the east coming to invade Israel. They want it, they want that to be literal. In Revelation, it is used symbolically to mean evil, and any evil that that tries to attack, tries to attack the church, tries to destroy the church, tries to fight against God. It, it, it's all spiritual. It's all symbolic in the Book of Revelation. It is not a literal fight, like premillennialists would have you to believe. If you go on. If you go into a search engine on the internet, type in Gog and Magog, Gog, Magog, map. 
and then go into images, and you'll see all kinds of different maps that people have drawn trying to show where these people were located. They know that this is a general, this is generally the correct areas. What, what they disagree on is maybe Magog was over here north of Black Sea and Tubal was up there where Magog is and that, that sort of thing. The fact is, these were enemies of God and, in, and enemies of Israel in the Old Testament and these guys are used in the book of Revelation to represent evil and the fight between evil and good. Okay, we will pick up with, we almost got through it. We'll pick up with Judgment Day next week. Thank you for your comments. That is all. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.